We live in a world where there's been no peace. Right from the very beginning, after Adam and Eve had sinned, the world has been a place of conflict and disturbance and hostility. And that's a sad thing. The dictionary, if you look it up and you look up the word peace, it means merely there the absence of disturbance. And peace is usually the state that people would look at when, say, warring nations are no longer at war or factions are no longer fighting. And it's a tolerance, usually. You can tell by my accent, I grew up in, a, in an area of the United Kingdom that was, that was an expression of this hostile brokenness and lack of peace. And just after I moved across to England from Northern Ireland, there were moves starting to gather momentum to broker a, a peace agreement, and the peace accord was reached. There's peace, but it's a very, very tense peace. I know that because I go home and you get the sense, a little bit of an insider knowledge there, that things are sometimes on a knife edge. That yes, there were many people over many years involved in the brokering of that peace, uh, negotiators and mediators, that were there to bring various factions together so that peace might be achieved. And an agreement was reached. And there has been the, the, the minimising of what characterised Northern Ireland from the 1960s uh, right through until the mid-1990s and the early 1990s, which touched Northern Ireland and, of course, touched the, the rest of the UK as well. Peace is there. So many people involved. But nobody says in that peace agreement that was reached, that one individual is the peace. Let's read Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read from Ephesians chapter 2. If you have a Bible with you, you can follow with me. If not, then just listen in. Our title for our talk today is, uh, in following our series in Christ Jesus, our peace today. So Christ Jesus is our peace. And we'll see from Ephesians chapter 2, that very phrase that tells us that Jesus is our peace. He's not only the one who has brokered peace, but he is our peace. Let's read the section from verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2 verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, and we can count ourselves in that group, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made, by, made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments, express and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access in one spirit to the father 
So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. A key verse is there in verse 14, for he himself is our peace. Now this is not peace as the dictionary defines it and the world would normally define peace. It's not this tolerance because hostility and aggravation still exists but an agreement is reached so that the horrors of war and of conflict, all out conflict are, are avoided. There is an agreement that the parties abide by. It's not that where it's just sort of sitting there on a knife edge. You know, you go back into the Old Testament, uh, God's word, and the Hebrew there, the word shalom, which uh, the Jews still use today as their greeting and also as their farewell. They'll say shalom or shalom. That's the word that's translated in English for us in the Old Testament as peace. But it means so much more than just the avoidance of disturbance or a state where there is no conflict. The sense of the word, as it's there, means safety, security, prosperity, well-being, wholeness. That's really the sense of the word. It's, it's this wholeness and completeness. It's about a wholeness in life. And it's knowing satisfaction, well-being, contentment within that state. So that, when God, in his word, speaks of peace in the Old Testament, that's what he has in mind. It's a state that is delightful. It's not just something that's tolerable. It is delightful. We'll see from this little section of Ephesians chapter 2 um, three things or three ways in which we can see how peace was destroyed. At the very beginning when God, the creator of all things, made everything and made us as well as humanity with the dignity and the responsibility to rule on God's behalf over the creation that God had made, turned away from God. Satan had come in and he had deceived Eve. Remember the word deceived. He deceived Eve and Eve in her spirit felt that there was something being withheld from her by God. But God was everything. And in that moment felt there must be something else and was deceived into doing what God had said they shouldn't do. What God had said was, trust me, I am everything, I'm eternal, I'm everything that you need. And the deceit came in and Eve was deceived to pursue something other than God. And Adam joined her in that. That's what we're told in Genesis chapter 3. Before that, it had been perfect. But then this deception came in. And we see in this section the outcome of that. One, immediately there was no peace with God anymore. We have this wonderful image of the Garden of Eden before the fall as it's known. Falling from a relationship with God is the sense of the word there, the fall. Before there had been this intimate relationship with God. And then this deception and the pursuing of something other than God meant that we turned away from him and there was no peace. 
Now, why was there no peace? It was because Adam and Eve knew full well what they had done. And they were guilty of it. In our world, when there are two fighting factions, both will have ideologies. And both will think they're right. And usually it's the strongest that will win if there is all-out war and conflict. The ideology is there, but which one is right? With God, there's only going to be one winner. God's standard and holiness is absolute. And so if we turn away from that, we are absolutely the guilty ones before God. And therefore, the hostility that comes is not God in a, a vindictive way coming against us as sinners. It's his right response giving that his holiness, his law, his righteousness is the absolute standard has been ignored and offended. Then his reaction to that is a righteous anger. Which the Bible would say is wrath. It's not a vindictive thing. It's justifiable hostility, if I can use that word, against those who've turned away from him. We're entirely the guilty ones. So immediately there was that brokenness, that lack of peace between humanity and God. And flowing from that came conflict with each other. We've seen in this portion here that we were separated from God. There was that brokenness, hostility. We see here as well that we're at conflict with one another. Adam and Eve hid from God in the garden, it says, after they'd done what God said they shouldn't. And when God then pursued them and spoke to them, what have you done? Adam blamed Eve. Uh, Eve blamed the serpent, Satan and the serpent. They were blaming everybody else. There was conflict between them instantly. No longer the trust and the love and the beauty of a peaceful relationship that God had brought them into at the very beginning. That was broken too. Not only that, it led them to conflict with their surroundings. I said there were three things, there's four here. Conflict with the surroundings, but we're not going to focus on this one. God said that the consequence of the fall, the consequence of what you've done, I put you in charge of this as my representatives over all of this, and you've turned away, choosing to do your own thing. The whole creation is cursed because of it. Your relationship with the environment is going to be so much more difficult than it ever was. And we know that and we see that in our world. And then maybe the most difficult one, and sometimes we, we overlook this. The fourth thing, which is important, was the conflict within ourselves. So we have conflict with God, or lack of peace. There's hostility there. There's God's wrath against sin. We burn against us. We're the guilty ones. There's that hostility between us because we have ideologies now that we think we're right. And we'll fight about what we think is right. There's this hostility between us and the environment because our decision to move away from God's authority means that we don't have the same authority anymore. And it's hard. But this last one of peace within ourselves not being there. We know we're broken people. Inside, there is little peace. Who can put their hand up and say they've known a day when there's been no conflict in their mind 
in their heart, in their being, or with anybody else at any point. I don't think any of us could. It's internal, it's all around us, it's with other people, and ultimately it's because we've broken our relationship with God. Peace with God, let's deal with these. Uh, we're going to deal with three, conflict with God, conflict with each other and the environment, just very quickly, and within ourselves. We're going to deal with these in order, and see this from Ephesians 2 and another portion in a, section, in a, in a second or two. Peace with God. The Bible tells us that peace with God is a state that we can know. Thinking of peace in that fullest sense of completeness and prosperity and well-being. Peace with God for eternity can be known. And if we know that again, and there is the restoration of that which was lost in the fall, then there should be peace in the other areas of life as well. Paul repeatedly starts his letters to first century Christians in churches and to some of the individuals he wrote to. He starts with these words, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Go and look it up. And notice how often it's repeated. It's almost in every letter that he writes, right at the beginning or within the first sentence or two. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's important. Peace with God comes after God's grace. Grace to you and peace. We're amazed as Christians who believe who God is and what God has done through the person of Jesus Christ at his grace. Grace is giving that which was undeserved. We were the rebels against the absolute perfect standard of God who justifiably should suffer the consequences of that. But God in his grace pursues us. And grace to you, if we know it for ourselves, then means peace. And it's from God our Father. What? We're brought into a relationship with God. That means that we will know the reality of peace. And it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's something we have to know personally. I've just been reading through the uh, the prophet Jeremiah's writings. And Jeremiah 16 verse 5 says this. The Lord speaking about his Old Testament people Israel. Whom he brought to himself and they repeatedly decided they knew better than God and went off. He said on an occasion, he said, I have taken away my peace. Shalom. My peace, prosperity. From this people. My steadfast love and mercy. So he equates peace and the removing of it. Peace is equated with steadfast love and mercy. And for us today, who know who Jesus Christ is as the Saviour, given in and by God's grace for us, we know the steadfast, eternal love of God. And we know his mercy to us as those who were due judgment and don't receive it because Jesus himself is our peace. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 God made a promise through the prophet Isaiah that there was going to be somebody stepping into this hostile, conflict-ridden world who would be called the Prince of Peace. What hope shines into the darkness that God in his grace would pursue us, the rebel enemies, so that we might know 
his peace. And it must come through the Prince of Peace. No wonder when the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, was born as a baby. That's amazing grace. When he was born as a baby, it says the angels appeared to the shepherds. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. Here was the means of peace coming to the brokenness of our world. To restore a relationship between us, the rebel, and God. So that then we might know peace with one another. And that we might have peace within ourselves. Because Christ himself has come. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace. When Peter was preaching to Cornelius who was a Gentile. And that takes us back to Ephesians chapter 2. When Paul was writing here to the church of God in Ephesus. He was reminding them as Gentiles. Those who hadn't been Jews. Um, So they just lived life according to all sorts of standards. Whereas the Jews had been given God's standard in the law. He says, you were, you were cut off. He says, you were without hope, without God in this world. The Jews were the same. They had been blessed by God with um, God stepping in to redeem his people for himself. So in a sense, they, they had a, a higher privilege granted to them in God's grace. But Paul is saying here, you've now been brought into something, but there was a time when you were without hope in this world. And Peter was preaching to a man who's in that category, a Gentile. Without God and without hope. No peace. Nothing. And he says this about Jesus. He says God through Jesus. Was preaching the good news of peace. So God had promised the Prince of Peace would come. God in his grace would provide. Peace for us. And Peter came and said. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. He's the one who came preaching good news. On God's behalf, because he himself is God. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Mark starts with Jesus beginning his, his life of ministry, as we know, around 30 years of age. And the first words he records of Jesus are, Repent and believe the good news, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn around. Believe the good news. And Peter says in Acts chapter 10, verse 36, 36, the good news is the good news of peace. Repent and believe the good news of peace. For the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. Come into the kingdom, Jesus was saying, where you'll know the shalom of God, the prosperity that God longs for you to have. And Jesus himself, when he was with his disciples, and this is the night before he went to the cross, said to them, in me, you will have peace. That's amazing. Because that shows that Jesus knew exactly who he was. Because none of the negotiators in the world, in the various settings of conflict today, would ever say that they are the, the peace. They might think that they are a means towards peace, but they themselves are not it. What does Jesus say to his followers? In me, you will have peace. And we've read here in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 17. It says that he came and preached peace to those who were far away and to those who were near. Jesus came with the purpose that he might preach the good news of peace to us. That we can have peace with God. Now how is that achieved? How as guilty rebels can the Prince of Peace 
who says himself that he will be our peace and he himself is our peace, how can he bring this about? I might just say on a little technical point, when it says he himself is our peace in this text here, the first uh, level of understanding that is bringing Jew and Gentile together into something glorious for God into one. And Christ is the means of that, but it has that wider sense of him being the means of peace individually with God. How did this come about? If you turn back to Romans chapter 5, how is it that God in his grace will give us peace when we're guilty, and we're guilty to infinitely eternal degree, how is it that Christ himself can be our peace? Let's read Romans chapter 5. And it tells us that peace is achieved through his death and suffering. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. So we can stand before God justified by faith. But faith in what? Let's read that again. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he is the means of peace, but he is peace. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we were enemies, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It's straightforward. It says we're enemies here. But God, in his grace, his love, his mercy, while we were enemies, we've been reconciled to God through the death of his son. How is that possible? Because God, the eternal son, the person of Jesus Christ and humanity, was entirely sinless and guilt-free, was not associated with us at all in the guilt of turning away from God. His life absolutely was lived, honouring and glorifying God every single moment of his day. And then... He was rejected and nailed to a cross. And he died. God tells us that that death was planned from all of eternity. Because in that moment, it says that God would count him as guilty for our sin. That's the grace of God. God himself fixing our mess. Grace to you. And peace from God, our Father. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's why we can stand justified by faith. We reach out in the moment that God awakens us to realise that God is 
justifiably hostile to us because we are guilty as sinners. And we see at the same time that he has provided in himself and in his son, the Saviour, who is the only one who can bear the infinite judgment of God against sin. And he says, look and live. We've been there this morning in the remembrance. Look and live. Receive it by faith. You're guilty and you can't do anything about it yourself. God justifiably and righteously will bring his wrath against you. But he's done it already in the person of his son when he died. And while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. It's not just that our sin is forgiven. It's that we're reconciled to God. That's why it's peace. That's why when Paul starts his letters, he says, grace to you. And we're thinking what the grace of God is, that God would do this for us. And peace from God our Father. We're brought into this wonderful relationship with God. No longer enemies, but sons. That's how the Bible describes it. Brought into a place of privilege as children of God. Where is the safest place and the place of peace that you know most? Not always the case, but often. We'd like to say our own homes, wouldn't we? It's where you'd expect it to be. A place of conflict often, I know that. But God is the perfect Father. Everything is wonderful. And he says, you come and you're reconciled to me. You've gone away. I bring you back because of what my son has done, what I have done through my son. And by faith you take that and you come in to this glorious peace, shalom, prosperity, completeness as part of God's family. We have that in Ephesians 2 as well. It says that Christ was bringing Jew and Gentile together into one so that we might enjoy being part of God's family together. And it goes on towards the end of it that that then should be expressed in people together serving for God today in God's house. That's maybe for another time. Therefore, Romans 5 verse 1, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's because of what he's done, but it's also because of who he is. The eternal son of God, because we know that Jesus was raised from the dead. And says that in verse 10, we shall be saved by his life. Romans 5 verse 10. His death is the means of our sin being judged, but his life that he lives after death is the means of us knowing that we have eternal peace with God. And from that flows so much. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. It's all about relationship. Come, be mine. So it's not the case that we're simply in a brokered peace agreement. We can't bring that to this consideration. We've been brought from the outside place into the family of God. We're reconciled to God as sons of God and being united with Christ in faith means full reconciliation with God. We sang in our hymn that as dear as Christ is, the Son is to his Father, so then we are counted as dear by God too. The Bible language of being in Christ is those who say that in Christ, he is the means of salvation, he is the means of peace, only him. He's achieved it and he is it. That's why he could say, in me you will have peace. And he also said, I give peace 
And it's not as the world gives, which means it lasts for eternity. It's glorious. Remember what the Lord said in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the peacemakers. What's the next bit say? For they shall be sons of God. It's all about that reconciled relationship with him. Quickly then, the other things. So we have peace with God. That's made possible through what God has done in his grace to us in Christ Jesus. It then brings and should do peace with one another and with our environment. The world is a place of selfish ambition. And the Bible repeatedly tells us that those who trust in Christ should no longer be living for themselves, but living for him. No selfish ambition in that. And repeatedly, the writers of the New Testament, writing to Christians who are living after Jesus has lived and died and been buried and has been raised from the dead and is exalted to the throne in heaven. Repeatedly they're saying, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let what you have become in Christ rule in your life, not other things. And that's where Ephesians 2.16 fits in. He himself is our peace. It's a daily reality. I said it before that really the first interpretation of that Ephesians 2.16 is the hostility between people is broken down and we're able to come together in something that is glorious for God in one thing for God and he himself is our peace so we're to get on with one another more than that we're to be at peace with one another it's to be a complete thing it's to be a matter of safety and security and well-being and prosperity that's what we're called to. And no wonder when the Lord in the Sermon on the Mount as well. The world looks at Christians who live this way. And they scratch their heads and wonder. They're crazy. Foolish. The Lord said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You can't do that in your own strength. Human strength does not enable that to happen. But God in us can bring that about. The wonderful truth is that when we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ and he himself is our peace, we're told that God himself comes and resides in our body and in our life experience. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of peace comes to be in us. And God himself will work in us so that we will get on with one another. And we will value this world that God has given us. And will not exploit one another or this world for own selfish means and gain but rather we'll live for the life that God has given us for his glory. So we'll do what is right towards others and for the environment around us. A restored relationship vertically with God and peace with him means that horizontally it's going to make all the difference. What about peace within ourselves? I want us to finish on this one. I've said we have this constant battle and as Christians we still have it. We have our old sin nature that still is there and would deceive. And Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things. Remember I said to hang on to the word deception. The adversary came in, Satan, and deceived Eve. Took her away from God and all the consequences of that came with it. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who we are. But God, in his grace, has come. When by faith we see the Saviour as our Saviour. And he comes and he resides in us. And he can have 
the rule in our lives. If we will grant it to him. God had said through Isaiah the prophet that the wicked, that for the wicked there is no peace. I don't know if anybody listening or maybe even listening online later on this just don't have peace. We're wicked. We don't like to call ourselves wicked, but the Bible says that we're all evil because we're sinners. We prefer something else other than God. But God will step in in his grace and we receive that which he's done for us. Then peace can come. But without that, there's no peace within and no possibility of peace within the individual. But when God comes in, then what may be a conflict within can start to change as we give Christ, who he himself is our peace, the right place in our lives, then the conflict within will start to cease as well. In John 14, 27, again, it was with the disciples just before he would go to the cross. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. It's not going to be taken away. Jesus says, I give you my peace. What was his peace? His peace was living always for the glory of God, his Father. And knowing the prosperity of that, even through the suffering of the cross, he knew the prosperity that was coming as a consequence. We would be gathered into the family of God for eternity. He saw the prosperity in that and was prepared to go through suffering. We read it, didn't we? That Paul and his companions were prepared to go through suffering because they knew that the Lord Jesus had guaranteed a peace that would not be taken away. It's forever. So Jesus is our peace. We can go to people for help. We can talk with each other. There are experts that are trained to help us with difficulties that we may have that may be psychological, emotional. And sometimes those things need to be brought out and people who are trained to do it can help us to do it. But if it's only ever at the human level, and we've said at the very beginning that humanity is always in conflict, then peace is never going to be arrived at unless we invite Christ Jesus into our lives. One for salvation and then for that eternal hope and that joyous state of being in the family of God. And every day then invite him in. And if any are going through situations where they're needing that help that I've described, it's inviting Christ into that too. Be my peace. Him. He's achieved it and he is it. Lifting our eyes to who Christ is brings peace. Why? Because there's the assurance of victory. At the end of the book of Romans, Paul says to them, he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I love that. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Oh, the God of peace? Would he do such a thing? Of course he will, because it's guaranteed. Peace is there when Satan is crushed. It's something that is yet future in its absolute fulfillment, but every day, inviting the God of peace in and giving him the rightful place in our lives, giving Christ the rightful place, we can stand and crush the head of the adversary who would take us down. And we're encouraged to pray that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts, who we are, and our minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, verse 7. I'm going to use Paul's benediction to the Thessalonians to finish. 2 Thessalonians 3.16. Now, 
May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. Let's pray.